You know, when I was younger, I remember struggling with this feeling of, am I getting this right as a follower of Jesus? And I remember I would compare myself to other people who were following Jesus, and I'm like, they're doing so much better of a job than I am. I always felt like I just wasn't quite living up to what I perceived everyone else's level of spirituality to be. I remember specifically when I hung out with my friend James, he had like this huge poster that he had made and it was like, wake up every morning and pray this much, wake up every morning and read this much. And I'm like, oh geez, like I don't even know if I'm saved right now. I mean, it was so intimidating when I looked at what was going on and we do the same thing where we see so many people that we will often get caught up in comparing ourselves to thinking, man, they're getting it all right and their life is going so well and mine's just not going that great and I'm just really not that great of a Christian. And we began to class ourselves into whether we feel more spiritual or less spiritual than someone else based on what others do or don't do. And this even carried over into my younger days when I first started out in full-time ministry. When I started in ministry, I was 18 years old. I became a youth pastor two weeks out of high school. Who does that, right? I'll tell you that story another time. But I became a youth pastor at a church two weeks out of high school. And I remember going to like these pastor's conferences and stuff, and it never failed. There was always a guy that would get up at these conferences and say something like, you know, all you young ministers need to be out there waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning like I do and praying on your knees and crying out for souls to be saved for four hours. And then I spend 50, 60 hours a week in sermon preparation. And I'm like, I am failing. I, I am failing miserably. And it seemed like everyone else was just doing all this stuff. And I'm like, when do these guys have time to eat? Oh, never mind. They fast. They're fasting. You know, we're fasting for the nations. And it just seems like, oh my goodness, like I'm just not hitting the mark. And I wonder about this because this is something we all feel no matter how long you've been a Christian, or maybe you've just become a Christian recently. Maybe you're hearing this and identifying with this because maybe that's exactly where you are right now. You feel like everybody else is getting it right and you're not. And the problem with a comparison culture is that you can never have unity if you're always comparing and out trying to outdo one another or never feeling like you're quite measuring up. You're always looking at someone else instead of looking at Jesus. So how do we navigate this? How do we grow in this thing that's supposed to be this beautiful, seamless, working body of Christ that's supposed to be so unified when there's so many things that could get our eyes off of Jesus and get us divided. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was dealing with when it came to the church in Ephesus. And we've been in the book of Ephesians, so if you have your Bible today, and I know you do, I'll go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to read what Paul said here concerning spiritual unity. Let's start with the first three verses. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, even though he's writing this from a physical prison. He's saying, I'm actually a prisoner of the Lord. And he's encouraging and exhorting the church, the Christians in Ephesus, to maintain the spirit of unity. 
And he says, walk worthy of the calling to which you're called. How do we as Christians walk worthy of the calling to which we're called to? As you look at that, you see that and you go, yeah, we need to walk worthy of that. But how do we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called? Well, to do this means we live in light of the gospel. It is the gospel that unifies us because it's the gospel that puts all of us, no matter who you are, on the same playing field. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you know or don't know. It is the gospel that levels all of this out because it really puts everyone into two categories. Those who have been brought into the family of God by putting their faith and hope in Jesus Christ and those who have not. And when we look at humanity and we see that there's really just two different categories, not all of these others that we try to make up to compare ourselves to in order to make ourselves feel righteous. No, it's really just two. Those who have trusted Christ and those who have not. And it's our job, it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus to bring as many of those who have not yet trusted in Christ over to trusting in Christ. Amen, church? And as we are trying to get people to come over to trusting in Christ, they need to see something by with which we have been impacted by that's changed our present and our eternity that makes Christ attractive. In other words, there should be differences. There should be notable mark, uh, uh, marks of, of difference between how we used to live and how we live now since we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Who we were, the old person that we were before Christ, should be gone and now we should be completely made new and transformed and as we grow in that and learn how to walk in that and we're renewed in the spirit of our minds we begin to think differently we begin to value things differently and we live according to the gospel it changes our priorities the christian should have different priorities than the person who does not know christ that means that before I knew Christ, it made sense for me to just pursue all sorts of selfish gain. And it was all about me accumulating more for myself, more fun, more leisure, more money, more retirement, more wealth, more of what the world would call success, more notoriety, whatever the case may be. I'm just looking to make my life as comfortable as possible. And that was the priority. But then when I come to know Christ, something shifts, something changes. And now all of my pursuits are now filtered by this gospel, this good news that Jesus Christ came and died for my sin, that I could be made a son of God simply by putting my faith and my trust in what Christ has done instead of me trying to make myself a good person and earn something from God. I now recognize Christ did it all and I rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where I derive my identity. That's where I find my spiritual strength. He is my hope, and I rest and trust in Him, and I begin to live out this life of who I am in Christ and whose I am, and it changes the order of my priority. So now my pursuits begin to be filtered in light of eternity because I have been transformed by the gospel. So that means that I'm still doing life like a lot of other people do life, but my goal is very different. My aim is very different. My intentions are very different. And the fruit of my life should be very different. Now, instead of me looking to get as much as I can, I look to give. Whether that be of my time, whether that be of my treasure, whether that be of the gifts that God has given me, whether that be of the resources God has given me, whether it be uh, something in my life that I used to hoard up for myself, now I find myself having this spirit and attitude of generosity, and I'm beginning to understand it's more blessed to give 
than it is to receive. And all of us should be on this pathway growing in spiritual maturity, where we move from these spiritual infants to these spiritual children to these spiritual young adults to these spiritual parents who are now understanding it is now my job to invest in other people. And it becomes less and less about me and more and more about me serving other people. Paul says something interesting here in these first three verses of the fourth chapter. He says that we should walk with all humility and gentleness. And this is part of walking worthy of this calling that we've been called to in Christ. And that word humility is a different word than what we would traditionally think about the word humble or humility. Last week I gave you my personal definition of the word humble by being understanding our limitations and acknowledging our need and depending on Christ and not trusting in ourselves. But here, the word humility in the Greek, which is what this was written in, translates to be thinking lowly of oneself and serving one another. That's what this word actually literally means. It's literally translated to think lowly of myself, not highly of myself, but lowly of myself and serve one another. I wonder who has communicated this idea before. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Jesus? Do you remember when he girded himself with the servant's towel and washed the disciples' feet? And then what did he say when he was finished washing the disciples' feet? He said, what I've done to you, now do to one another. It's the same idea that Jesus also communicated when he said to his disciples, the world is going to know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's something that is actionable about this love that we've received from Christ. It doesn't become something we hoard up for ourselves. Instead, it translates into service. Yes, for the world to see and know Christ, but he says for one another. That means those in the family of faith. Those in the body of Christ, we are called to not think of ourselves more highly than one another. So this whole classification, this whole caste system idea of people in Christianity, people in the body of Christ being more significant than other people, man, it's, it's a lie from the enemy and it causes division. And it hurts people because when we begin to think of ourselves more importantly than we should, or I begin to feel like I'm just never getting it right and I'm not measuring up, then I'm not truly seeing myself the way Christ wants me to see myself. Not as someone who's constantly comparing, but rather as a servant. Someone who's serving because of the love that I've been just compelled with from the gospel. It changes the motivation and the intent. It changes my availability. Because now, because of Christ, I'm willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the benefit of another, and I may never get recognized for it. I may never get a pat on the back. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Who cares? I'm not in it for the pat on the back. I'm in it because I'm living in light of eternity and doing it as unto the Lord. And that means my job. That means the way that I interact with my family, my neighbors, my coworkers. It means... The, the, the integrity in which, in which I present myself at work and how I work, I do it as under the Lord. Because of what Christ has done in me and how he's changed me, I am not thinking more highly of myself. Instead, I'm thinking in light of eternity. When I look at my paycheck, I'm thinking in light of eternity. When I look at my time, I'm thinking in light of eternity. When I look at my relationships, I'm thinking in light of eternity. Because that's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus does to a heart. 
Used to, I thought about myself all the time, and it was easy to do that. Believe me, it's second nature. It, it, for, for the unregenerate, unsaved person, it's first nature. But to us who have been made alive in Christ, that nature has to be put to death. Because it is now time for us to take on this new nature that we've been made alive in Christ together with. Amen? Amen. And there are certain marks of a person who is now in Christ. And he says a person who's going to approach one another with humility. This is walking worthy of the calling in which we're called. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Just like that spiritual parent. This is part of maturing. Because I'm going to have to be patient with children, right? And I'm going to have to be gentle in my patience. Because a gentle answer turns away wrath. And I want to make sure that I am being that person filled with gentleness and patience. And this is what Christ does to us when I humble myself and don't think highly of myself. And stop thinking about what I deserve and what I'm entitled to. Oftentimes we go the opposite way when we're focused on ourselves. We think, well, I deserve this. I've been doing this for this long. It's time for somebody else to take over. No, no, no. Hang on. Pump the brakes. It's not time for us to begin to get selfish. It's actually time for us to become more generous, more aware of others' needs. And that's the mark of spiritual maturity. And serving others is a pathway to unity. That's actually a pathway to unify the body of Christ when we serve one another. It's in our serving, not in our knowledge. Not being puffed up with pride with what we've learned and what we've accumulated. Not in all the merit badges that we have achieved throughout our Christianity and now we wear them proudly. No, no, no. It's actually the opposite way is the pathway to unity. And so many people miss that because we can get very concerned and very consumed with ourselves and our wants and our needs and we think it's about us. But truly, Christ showed us the way, and it's through serving. That brings unity in the body of Christ. And God gives each one of us gifts in order to serve one another with. And all of our gifts are very different, much like all the parts of our body. And I don't know about you, but I want to have all of the parts of my body because when I step on a Lego in the middle of the night, I become more aware of parts of my body that I wasn't thinking about beforehand. <laughs> Or when you stub your toe or when you trip over a cable on a stage. These things you're reminded of parts of your body that before you sustained this injury, you weren't aware of before. Have you ever stubbed your toe like on a table or something or an end table? And you're like, how on earth did I do that? I've successfully walked around this table hundreds of times in my house. But for some reason, that day when I got up from the chair, instead of my legs going like this, my leg went... And I hit it, and it's like the worst thing. It hurts so bad. You're very aware of that part of your body at that moment. You weren't thinking about it before. You weren't going, man, thank you, God, for my pinky toe. It's my favorite toe. It's so tiny and cute. No, you weren't thinking about your pinky toe, but you were thinking about it after you hit it. Or after you stepped on that Lego and you were thinking about, you know, that, that toe that, that, that hit that thing. Man, you were thinking about that. All of a sudden, you're aware of it. You jam that finger. Oh, I didn't even think about that finger before. Now I think about it a whole lot because I'm very aware of it. And I'm glad that it's there. And I, I tell you, Lord, heal it. And I'll be thankful for it every single day. And we don't think about those things often. Just like there's parts in the body of Christ that aren't as glamorous. They're not as out front. But they're no less important just because they're not out front. Amen? 
You see, what you're doing now is you're getting to receive from my gift. This is my gift, just to teach the scripture. This, it's not any more significant than any other part of the body. It's just my gift. But when we begin to think, oh, the pastor, oh, he's special. Oh, he's way up here. Oh, he's got like the bat phone to heaven. And, he, you know, God picks up every time the pastor rings. And, you know, he gets gold stars by his name. And, you know, all these extra added benefits to Christianity that I, this lowly servant, I just could never measure up to. No, that's not how God looks at us. There's those who are saved and those who are lost. And it's not that there's some sort of hierarchy or some sort of structure of importance that God looks at me differently or God looks at my gift as more important. Folks, my gift is not any more important than your gift. I, I know that's a hard thing for a lot of people to believe. They're like, yeah, right. No, no, it, it's not more important. Every gift is important to the body of Christ because it all influences and impacts eternity. Amen? And we got to get out of this comparison culture where we're constantly feeling like we're either knocking it out of the park or we're just failing miserably because we're not doing what someone else is doing. And we have to find our security in Christ because until we begin to look to Christ as our source for these things and, and our identity and we learn who we are and whose we are in Christ, we're going to be constantly comparing ourselves. And the more we compare ourselves, the less likely we are to be unified the more likely we are to be offended or to always feel beat up or always feel less than. Instead of humbling ourselves and serving one another to put ourselves on a pathway to unity. Our gifts are not merit badges to be worn and paraded around where everyone sees what all we have done or what we gave or what all we uh, made a spectacle of. No, no, no. Those aren't why our gifts are there. Our gifts are not Merit badges, they're servant towels that we use to wash each other's feet with. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. Let's keep on reading. Pick it back up in verse 4. Let's go through verse 16. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul's writing telling us how amazing Christ is that he is above everything. And that he's the one who has now uh, led this host of captives to freedom. And now we have gifts. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which, it's, which, with, which, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it does what? 
It builds itself up in love. He just wrote a really, really, really long sentence or two there. And as Paul's writing this, he's wanting to communicate to us that the purpose of these gifts is to actually equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the Christian for the work of the ministry. And the equipping for the work of the ministry, that ministry's purpose is to help us to no longer be tossed to and fro every time some new idea or some new doctrine comes around, but instead we're supposed to be anchored and and grounded and rooted and know who we are and whose we are and know our purpose so that we can actually live it out and serve one another because he said it's also going to produce a maturing. It's going to be a mature manhood that's going to help us to stay grounded so that we can actually see what's most important. So we can actually prioritize the right things. What things are those? Well, building up one another in love. Christ is the head and every one of us have a role and we're all supposed to do our part. And he says, when every joint does its part, every part, it actually builds up the body of Christ and edifies it in love. And it helps us to learn to love one another more, to serve one another more, and to serve Christ together and reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the world sees a church like that, they see it and it's attractive to them because they begin to see something different. If you want to see some uh, group of people that's divided and angry at each other and can't get along, well, you don't have to look far to see that. The world's pretty good at that. And unfortunately, so is the church. But when the world sees a church that's unified, when the world sees a church that's serving one another and loving one another well, when the world sees a church that's serving beyond what we can get out of the deal, and it's not always this strings attached type of agenda, then all of a sudden they begin to scratch their heads and go, that's different. Haven't seen that before. And it's exactly what Jesus said. The world's going to know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And your love is going to be on display by how you treat each other how you interact with one another, how you serve one another, how you care about one another. And we are to pursue that. We are to pursue unity and pursuing servanthood and preserving unity. These are marks of spiritual maturity. This is the fruit of spiritual maturity. It is actually in our pursuit of servanthood. And as we pursue servanthood, as we look to preserve unity, that's how we can tell that we are growing in spiritual maturity because we are contributors, not consumers. We are conduits. We are not containers. We receive and we give. We don't get to retire from being a Christian and serving one another. Amen? It's not like we can just sit back and disengage and say, I put my time in. I've done what I needed to do. No, the longer we serve Jesus, we don't get to wear that as a merit badge, but instead it should compel us to serve more because we've grown into these spiritual parents who now are more concerned about the well-being of others and we want to invest, we want to love, we want to contribute, and we want to pursue serving more. And that serving can change and take on different forms because often as we get older in life, we begin to have more availability. And as we have more availability, what are we doing with that availability? What are we filling that availability with? Are we filling it with serving one another? Or are we serving it with selfishness? Because the servant's heart is looking for opportunities and looking for ways to take the gift of time, 
the gift of availability and to give and to serve, to say, I want to help. I want to I come alongside you. I want to walk with you. I want to use the gifts that God has given me to be there, whether that be prayer, whether that be you doing something physically, whether that be you teaching and sharing the word or just walking with someone through a difficult season. Whatever it may be, it's you serving yourself. What is serving anyways? My favorite definition of servanthood is really the willingness to intentionally inconvenience oneself for the benefit of another. I'm on purpose inconveniencing myself. I'm already aware it's going to be inconvenient, and I'm okay with that. Even though I know it's going to be challenging, there's going to be times where, oh, I don't want to go or I don't want to do this thing. But when you leave, you're glad you showed up. You ever had that experience before? Oh, man, I told those people I would help them move. Mm, it's always moving, isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> told them I'd help them move. And, oh, man, you're dreading getting there. Oh, man, I could have done this. Oh, is there, um, <coughs> do I feel okay? Um, oh, man, I do. I feel okay. Oh, uh, oh man, am I going to be okay to do this? I don't know. Oh, man, is there anything else? Honey, do we have something going on that I forgot about that maybe I would have to call? I, I mean, everything that we look for. But then you show up. You help the person, and when you get back in your vehicle to head home, isn't that a good feeling? Just knowing, well, I helped them. Thank you, God, for giving me that opportunity. It is. It's a blessing. And whatever it may be, whether it's something physical, whether it's something financial, whether it's something that you do, what it's, you know it's going to be inconvenient, but you do it anyways on purpose. You actually schedule yourself to be willing to be inconvenienced. You're saying no to something so you can say yes to something greater something more eternal, something that's going to actually show others Christ and share the love of Christ and serve one another with. And that's how we continue to grow. And when I pursue that, that's actually a sign of maturity. We talked uh, a month or so ago about growing in spiritual maturity. And we were in that series, Are We There Yet? And as we looked at the different pieces of that, no matter where you may fall on that spectrum of maturity, it doesn't mean more important it just means your understanding of who you are in Christ and as you grow in these different phases, the pathway to grow is pursuing unity and servanthood and beginning to understand how we navigate and do life together as Christ followers. And it starts with us serving and loving one another, amen? You're never gonna stop doing that, by the way, as a Christian. If you do, you're missing the point to pursue that unity. You know, a lot of times, People don't understand pursuing unity because we think about ourselves and we think less of others and we're always looking for what's convenient for me or is what I want to be happening in the church happening the way I think it should be happening. And we can get sidetracked and derailed from preserving unity and get more thinking as an individual and not thinking about loving others well. And when we do that, we can create a system and a cycle and a habit where we're constantly feeding ourselves more of our own ideas and our grievances to the point that we get offended. And when we get offended, we'll often harbor those things because Christians, unfortunately, need to be taught to grow in reconciling and resolving differences and being able to love one another through those challenges because sometimes we just don't do that great of a job as, uh, as Christians in that area. And we need to grow in that. But I think that part of this path is being able to pursue unity when I don't get my way. It's easy to be unified when I get my way, when everything's going my way. Woohoo! I love this right now. This is like great. 
I love getting my way, don't you? Yeah, some of you are like a new guy. You know, listen, you love getting your way. I love getting my way. It's like the best. The problem is I don't always get my way. So what do I do then? Mm. Well, sometimes we complain, we gossip, we backbite, we cause harm to other people, we cause tension in relationships. And we don't navigate those things very well often because we get so focused on ourselves that we miss that we're supposed to be loving each other and we need to be reminded of that. We forget that we need to be serving one another and instead we look to be served. And we miss and we begin to think all of a sudden that it's all about us and not about Jesus. And my hope is that we can remember the gospel and remember the words that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and that we get recentered and remember that it is about Jesus and it never stopped being about Jesus. We just get sidetracked every now and again and we need to repent. Amen? Amen. I'm not talking about BCC. I'm talking about that other church. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I am talking about BCC. Um, <laughs> and every church and every Christian. Amen? Because it's all of us. We all have a tendency to drift. That's why we need to be reminded by the truth in love who we are, whose we are. And remember that we are called to serve each other. We are called to preserve unity by the things we talk about and the things we allow and don't allow. When gossip tries to creep in, when negativity tries to creep in, we shut it down. And we say, no, we're, we're not going to talk about that. It sounds like you're offended at this person, and I'd be more than happy to go with you if you feel you can't talk to them on your own, or maybe you've tried to talk to them on your own and it didn't work out. That's what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 18. That's how he told us to resolve differences and, and, and work through offense. Because unity in the body of Christ is more important than me getting my way. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good this morning. <laughs> unity is more important in the body of Christ than me getting my way. Unity is more important in the body of Christ. Listen, unity is more important in the body of Christ than me being proven right. Amen or oh me. Unity is more important in the body of Christ than me being able to go, see, I was right. Either this went extremely right because I was right, or it went wrong and I told you so. Unity is more important. Now, yes, we need to be heard. Yes, I'm not saying everyone needs to be silenced. What I am saying is that we need to pursue unity at all cost because the enemy would love to come in and cause division and cause us to weaken our impact and our influence in the world. And guess what, folks? He's doing it and it's working. The only thing that's going to change things is when the body of Christ decides to step up, begin to pursue unity through serving each other, loving each other, and making sure that we're guarding and protecting the unity that we should have in the spirit. There's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one hope, there's just one God one Father, above all, He's in us all. That's what Paul said. He said, so you've got gifts. You're supposed to be this body. Jesus is the head. You're not supposed to be tossed to and fro. You're not supposed to, every time something doesn't go your way or something sounds attractive over here, you're not wishy-washy. You're planted, you're rooted, you're grounded. Why? Because Jesus has given us purpose. Because He has anchored us and we love each other a whole, whole lot. And it's worth going through the things we need to go through together to grow in unity and love each other. Amen. And as we do that, we're going to serve and we're going to love and we're going to continue to be that light, that city set on a hill. Amen? Amen. 
I, I like to look at church through this lens. It helps people to understand through this illustration of two different tables. Imagine if you would two different tables, one being in a restaurant, one being in your home. Now, we can do the same thing at both of those tables, the one at the restaurant and the one in your home. We can eat, right? And we all like that. Amen. We like to eat, and we can even eat the same meal at the family table and at the restaurant table. We could have hamburgers, right? I love hamburgers. We could have a hamburger at a restaurant. We'd have a hamburger at home. And my understanding and my expectations are going to be very different at the restaurant than they are at home and very different at home than they would be at the restaurant. When I'm sitting at the restaurant, I know you've had this experience before. You've been sitting there, you ordered extra jalapenos, and you don't have anything to drink because you drank all of your water. Don't they see? Obviously, I am in need of water. I told the server that I was ordering extra jalapenos. They should have been aware I was going to drink a lot of water because I'm eating something spicy, and how dare they not come and fill my drink? Honey, let's get up. We're never coming back here again. Why would we say things like that when we had slow service or when we had bad service? I mean, we've all had bad service at an eating establishment. We've all said those things. Our, our food was overcooked, undercooked. The order was wrong. They put the onions on there. They forgot the onions, whatever the case may be. And we all will say those things. I ordered it this way. And if it happens consistently enough, we just throw our hands up in the air and we go, I'm done. I'm never going back again. Try that at your family table next time. Um, no, that's not going to fly, is it? Um, excuse me, um, especially when I was a kid, you know. Excuse me, uh, uh, Dad, uh, this burger is not the right temperature. And I need a little bit more right here, a little bit, a little bit more to drink. I would be sleeping outside. You try that, oh, um, uh, honey, um, uh, could, could, could you uh, uh, send this back to the kitchen? Uh, I need it, uh, you know, uh, a new one, please, because this isn't the way that I ordered this. You're going to be wearing it, Jack. <laughs> We're doing the same thing. We're eating, but our experiences are very differently. What's the difference? Why do I have certain expectations over here and different expectations over here? What's the difference? I'm still eating food, even the same food. The difference is the relationships around the table. I don't really know these people over here. And sometimes, unfortunately, when we don't know people, um, we can be rude or we can become more selfish because I'm here. I'm paying my money. I'm giving my time. I came to your establishment. You should be taking care of me. And all I'm concerned about is myself in that environment. And that's true. And that's what we do when we're a consumer. But when we're sitting around the family table, it's not about just what I get, even though I'm still going to get something around the family table. I still am there to receive, but I'm also there to participate because odds are, the way I grew up anyways, you had a hand in setting the table, clearing the table, doing the dishes. Maybe you even helped with the meal, whatever the case may be. It's an all-hands-on-deck type of thing. It's not a restaurant. It's something where we were all involved. The conversations are deeper around the family table than they are at the restaurant. When the server comes over and says, hey, how are you today? That's a completely different question around the family table than it is at the restaurant. Why? Because of the relationships. I'm going to make a bold statement. I'm going to say that Bettendorf Christian Church is called to be the family table, not the restaurant table. Because we're supposed to be a Christ-centered family. Christ brings us together. Amen? That's why we assemble. That's why we gather, because of Christ. 
and because we love the people sitting around the table. We don't always agree with the people sitting around the table. We don't always get along with the people sitting around the table. But we love the people enough to keep assembling and sitting at the table and working through whatever we need to work through because we love each other and we gather around the table for more than just food and what we get. And we have a hand in this. We have something to give. We have something to contribute. Every one of us, no matter what uh, your spiritual tenure is, no matter how long you've been serving Christ, we all have something to give. And a servant's heart is a response to the gospel. This is what we all should do in response to what Christ has done. This is a response to Christ dying for us, serving us the way that he did. For him setting the tone, setting the example that you and I are to follow. And the Apostle Paul continues to talk about that new life that we have. Let's read the rest of Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Hang on, let's pause right there. Pause button. This is interesting. He said, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Who's Paul writing this letter to? He's writing it to Jewish and Greek Christians. What were Greeks known as to the Jews? Gentiles. So he's writing this to a mixture of Jewish and Greek people, but he says no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What is he saying? He's saying you being a Gentile has nothing to do with where you were born. It's are you in Christ or are you not? Are you a part of the family or are you not? So here's what he's saying in the mixed company of the Jews and the Greeks. He's telling the Greeks, you're family now. You're part of the family. You're family now. <laughs> you're part of the family. He's letting them know you're in. You're a part of the family. The part of the family of God because of Jesus. And so now when he refers to Gentiles, he's not talking about where you were born. He's talking about are you in Christ? And Christ unifies. He's giving a unifying statement of family here. When he says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. And this is what he says, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why? Due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore... Having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. 
Unity requires a heart change and for us to be renewed in our mind. For us to be unified, we have to have a heart change. And if we're in Christ, we should have that heart change. Amen? Amen. But then there's another thing that has to happen also. Our mind has to be renewed. We have to start thinking differently than we thought before. We have to also put off our former way of thinking, our former value system. And we now have to embrace the value system of God that's going to honor Jesus. And Paul teaches us how to pursue and walk in spiritual unity in the church. He said, put away falsehood. Put away lying. Put away slander. Put away gossip and backbiting and deceit. Be a person who pursues and protects unity. Serve each other. Paul is putting the church on a pathway to be unified because he knows how powerful the church can be when we walk in unity and when we love one another well. He knows the potential in the body of Christ. And there is great potential in the body of Christ. And here at BCC, I want us to walk in spiritual unity and love one another really, really well. I want us to be known for loving one another. I want us to be known for serving one another and also serving those in our community and serving those in the world with the love and truth of Jesus. But I want people to know at BCC you are loved, you are welcomed, and you are cared about, and you matter. Not just to those outside, but to those in this family where we care about each other to the point we're willing to go through things together, difficult things together, and still love one another still care about one another, that we shut down gossip, that we don't allow that to fester and perpetuate, that we, that we address offense head on because unity is more important than me being proven right. I think not highly of myself, but no, instead I humble myself and I'm gentle and I'm patient and I lower my thought of myself. And the gospel does this. The gospel reminds me of who I am and whose I am. My identity is found in Christ and the gifts he's given me should be used to serve one another. Not a comparison, not a competition, not me getting my way, but me serving because I'm sitting at the family table and I'm a part of this family. So how can you serve your church family at BCC? Some of you are already serving. Thank you for that. That's incredible. But how can we serve one another even better? Uh, personally, just assessing and looking at areas we could serve one another better in. I would love to see us open our kids back up for a second hour here at church. I would love to see some people respond to this message by saying, you know what, I'm going to intentionally inconvenience myself so that we can reach more families and serve our kids. I would love for people in this service and who have heard this message both first and second hour as well as those who may be online who are getting ready to come back in person. I would love for you to be able to raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I want to get plugged in and get involved. I think another area where we have need is in our life groups because we want people to connect. Someone who's willing to be a host. You can just open up your home. Is it inconvenient to open up your home to strangers? Yes, it is, absolutely. But what if it impacts eternity? Maybe you could be a leader of a group. We have plenty of rooms here at church. If opening up your home's weird, whatever. It's fine, we'll figure it out. But someone has to raise their hand and say yes to something greater. Someone has to serve one another. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If God's putting it on your heart to serve today, I've asked Lori to stand out by Serve Central, which is just right outside of this room here, to the left, to my left, your right, and go over there right past the kitchen area, and you'll see Lori standing out there. She's wearing a blue jean jacket, and she'll be smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> and she would love to connect you with being able to serve in our kids or in our life groups. You can also do this online. Go to our app, 
and it'll be right there on the home screen. Go to our, our, uh, our website, it'll be right there on the home screen. Whatever the case may be, step up and help serve our family better. Help us to continue to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because these things just aren't going to happen. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then if you're a person who's been struggling and wrestling with offense, I, I want you to be able to put on that pathway to heal and forgive. To be able to be on that pathway to reconcile. To be able to not hang on to bitterness. To find forgiveness and healing. And to protect our church from slander, gossip, negativity. This is what we do. We protect each other. We love each other. Because this is bigger than you or me. Amen? Amen. Bigger than a personality. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than my gift. It's bigger than your gift. This is God's church. And we want to be the church that he wants us to be. And we want to be a church that preserves unity. And that's serving one another really, really well. So let's sing this prayer together. Would you stand? We're going to sing a song, Make Us One. And we're going to start with this confession of our need for him. Let's pray this prayer today, and then let's take that next step. Let's worship.